Welcome to the Building a Story Brand podcast, where we believe if you confuse, you'll lose. Noise is the enemy, and creating a clear message is the best way to grow your business. I'm your host, Donald Miller. I'm joined by my co-host, J.J. Peterson. Hi, Don. Hi, J.J. Well, this is part two of our conversations Yes. With Andy <laughs> with Stanley. Andy Stanley. Yeah. And this one is Andy interviewing me. Yeah. So what we did was we sat down in Atlanta mm-hmm. and I interviewed him for our podcast. That was the last episode if you missed it. Yeah. And then he actually interviewed me for his and we both agreed we could use either. Yeah. <laughs> so I think Andy's going to feature both interviews on his podcast and I'm going to feature them on mine and I'm happy about it. Yeah. How intimidating is it though? To talk to one of the world's greatest leaders about, about leadership. <laughs> leadership. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> Much like, less one of the world's greatest communicators about yeah. communicating. I mean, at least he yeah. was teaching us something. Yeah. But we just had a fantastic conversation. And uh, I think he's obviously a pastor and the head of a church, but he is a leadership just yep. phenom. Yeah. He and Henry Cloud, I would put them up there kind of together. Yeah. John Maxwell. Mm-hmm. I mean, Andy could have just been a leadership guy his whole life. Yeah. And, you know, he really loves God and loves people. And, chose to start this church, but I was really curious about his stuff on leadership. So it ends up being kind of Andy asking me a couple of questions, but then him pontificating <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and sharing a lot more, as yeah. it should be. Yeah. You love Andy. We both love Andy. We talked last episode about how he has institutionalized the StoryBrand framework in that entire church. Yeah. So I went down and met with his media team. I met with his digital marketing team, mm-hmm. if you will, communications team. The thing that I realized is every church has almost more to teach a business than a business has to teach church because yeah. they're media powerhouses. Yeah. And I think it's under the pressure cooker of every Sunday having thousands of people in yep. a room and having to have something clear yep. and a diversity of all sorts of quote-unquote ministries. Yeah. And you know, there's not very many organizations better at it than North Point, yeah. which is obvious why they succeeded. This is, I guess it's Andy Stanley's conversation with me. Yeah. <laughs> That's narcissism right there. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, here is my interview with myself, <laughs> with moderator Andy Stanley. So I'm in the studio today with Donald Miller, uh, author of Story Brand, or Building a Story Brand, and a good friend for uh, many time. years. Yeah, yeah, one of my green room friends. We only see each other at <laughs> events, right. unfortunately. Yeah. I, I wish we lived closer. And today, we just had an incredible day uh, with our staff. We have about 600 staff, including full and part-time. And several months ago, we bought everybody in the organization Building a Story Brand. We gave them your book and required them to read it, and then had every single one of our teams work through the story brand process, which was fabulous. Then we had Donald come in and spend a, you know, a session with us, and he and I talked, and I interviewed him, and it was, it was absolutely incredible. I mean, it just, was fun to be around people who have nerded out as much as I yeah. have on <laughs> yeah, my wife is like, uh, yeah. Well, I would assume <laughs> in many cases you go into an organization trying to sell them on this process, and in this case, you came in on the back end. We were bought in, had worked through it, and then to glean sort of the extra content from you having worked through the book, it was a win for everybody. That was, yeah, was an absolute blast. Yeah. like teaching an advanced class rather than a beginner's class. Well, good. I hope that was the case. So one of the things I thought we could talk about, um, because this is a leadership podcast, is how – and again, hopefully most of the folks in our um, audience – are familiar with building a story brand. If not, you just need to buy the book, listen to the book. If you listen to the book, you will purchase the book. I listened to it and went through the actual um, book because I love to listen to books before I I read them. So I thought since we um, had Don in the studio, we would talk specifically about how this 
looks or how this works within the context of leadership because it's a marketing book, yeah. it's a branding book, yeah. but there is so much that's I think tran- yes. that is transferable Story to leadership. So, transfers to so yeah. many things. Yeah, so talk, talk about that a little bit. Yeah, the big premise is stop telling your story and start inviting people into a story. And so when I actually think of leadership, and you know, people have asked me about leadership for a very long time. I've been more of an influencer or a speaker than a leader. It wasn't until I started a company <laughs> and, and people started showing up every day. And then there were like suddenly 15 people showing up every day that I'm like, oh, I need to learn about leadership. Yeah. Right. I can learn about, you know, standing up and speaking. And, you know, but that, that was never a leader. I realized a few things. And one is that if I stopped telling my story and started inviting people into a story that they could actually live, everything goes much better. And if you think about what a story is, it's somebody who wants something, who has to overcome conflict in order to get it. That's really what a story is. Jason Bourne wants to know who he is. He's got a bunch of conflict. He has to overcome it, and he finds out who he is. You know, Bridget Jones wants to marry her boss. She has to overcome a bunch of conflict, realize her boss, she's worth more than her boss, and she meets somebody else, and there's some resolution. Rudy wants to play for Notre Dame. He has to overcome conflict. He gets in, he takes a few snaps, and that's the climactic scene. Somebody wants something, overcome conflict to get it. So as a leader, what do I need to do? We need to find something we can all want as a group. And it almost doesn't matter. I mean, It almost you, doesn't matter what it is. What it is. Wow. And here's why. Because I think we get hung up on the what. No, and we what's spend the so right much, thing? Right. And, we and get, it's like, now there's 50 million right, right things. We never get past that. Yep. The point is the journey in many cases. So I, I remember this with our friend Bob Goff. And Bob and I hosted a retreat once years ago. And it was a bunch of influencers and leaders. And it was about 15 or 20 of us. And... I was kind of in charge of the retreat of the way Bob and I worked. We were just like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> it was like the second morning, and Bob said, hey, what's on our plan today? What are we going to do? I said, well, I thought we'd just take six hours off, and people kind of, you know, we were down by the seashore and all yep. this kind of stuff. And Bob looked at me. It was the, one of the best things, Andy, anybody's ever said to me. He said, Don, people want to be taken somewhere. That's all he said. And I just thought, oh, my gosh. I've just invited these people into a narrative void of zero direction. Wow. Right? Wow. And I knew Bob well enough to know it doesn't matter where. And so I said, what if we just got in the boats and went over to the waterfall and maybe you could ask a question about, you know, what's the biggest challenge you've ever had? We just made something up. And we got them in the boat, took them across the waterfall, asked a question, and it was just one of the most amazing experiences that, you know, some of those people have had. They just wanted to be taken somewhere, anywhere. That is an amazing thought. It actually is. And I've taken that so far that the last time I did a workshop in Nashville, it was a marketing workshop, so a bunch of business leaders in the room, I wanted them to have enormous amounts of confidence in creating their marketing strategy. And really, in my opinion, a marketing strategy invites people into a story. That's what it does. That solves their problem, whether that's fixing their plumbing or, you know, whatever it is. It invites them into a story in which a problem in their life gets solved. That's what marketing should do. And I wanted these people to have confidence that rather than look around going, well, what's the right word for me to use on my website? I wanted to say, you know, there's 50 million right words to use on your website. Just go somewhere. Take them somewhere. That leads to them purchasing the product, obviously, in the case of marketing. So I said to the group, I have a really important thing I want to tell you, but I'm going to tell you outside on the curb along the street. This is downtown Nashville, right across from the Ryman Auditorium, skyscrapers everywhere and the horns honking and loud. (laughs) And I said, let's go. And I started walking out of the room and 160 people, you know, started following me. And I had my team put a big box out there on the curb and I had a bullhorn out there waiting for me and I... When, once everybody was there, I kind of gathered them up closer, 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 come closer, come closer. This is very, very important. What I'm going to tell you is very, very important. You have to hear me. And I grabbed the bullhorn and I said, this is what I want to tell you. People will go where you tell them to go. 
<laughs> all right, let's go back inside. Point <laughs> anyway, made. Point, point made. made. <laughs> and you know, it's a bunch of laughter and all that kind of stuff. But illustrate the point. I think that's really what a leader does. And here's the reality, Andy, you know this better than anybody. If you don't lead them somewhere good, somebody might lead them somewhere bad. Yeah. They really might. I think everybody listening is a leader and you are led. Yep. We're both, right? You lead me in terms of so many things, in terms of theology and spirituality and those kinds of things. And we're kind of in a, a relationship where we have to understand that. And the worst thing that could happen is a parent say, well, you know, I don't want to lead my kids. I want them to figure it out on their own. I want them own. to figure it out I've on their own. So or who am times. I to lead them? Right. I don't I have, have, my I don't have things yep. figured out. Into that narrative void steps chaos fast. I don't know how I ended up with this great marriage. I really don't. Betsy and I, I think we've had two arguments maybe our entire marriage. It's just really a great relationship. After a string of like bad, you know, me being an idiot and dating. And after Betsy and I got engaged, I went out to a business conference out in Oregon and was talking to Betsy on the phone. We're just engaged. We're not married. There was some tension, some weirdness in the call that I hadn't experienced before with her. But I got off the phone, walked right into a little workshop, and we were going to write a 90-day business plan for my business. Well, I write business plans every day. Right? I mean, I just love it. And I thought, huh, I need to get my head straight on this. I crossed out the word business and I wrote marriage because I just asked her to marry me. And I filled it out and I wrote, what's your mission? What are you going to accomplish? We will have a restorative marriage. And by that, I meant life is hard. Whenever she comes home or I come home, let's try to restore each other. And whenever people walk into our house, we are going to try to restore them because life has kind of taken something from them. It was just a direction. It wasn't the right direction. It was just a direction. And I took a picture of that once I filled it out. There were other things that I filled out, you know, sent the picture to her with my iPhone. And then I thought, she's going to kill me. I basically have just turned our marriage into a business plan. Like our children are going to be little franchises and we're going to do <laughs> cost-benefit analysis. She's going to kill me. This is the least romantic thing any man has ever done. So we talked that night. She goes, you have no idea how helpful that was. I'm like, well, unpack that. What do you mean? She said, Don, you're taking me away from the city that I've been in for eight years, the close friends that I have, the career that I have, which is going extremely well. You're taking me to Nashville, Tennessee. I don't know what I'm going to be doing. I don't know who I'm going to hang out with. And I realized, oh, my gosh, I was taking her into a narrative void. And from that point on, that's been the theme of our marriage for five years now. And, it's and you ma- haven't worried about if it's the right one or not. No, because there there's been, a North Star of some sort. that. All I know is yeah. it was a good one out of a choice of 250 million good ones. But because we've actually said this is the controlling idea, if we we're writing a screenplay, mm-hmm. that would be, the, would be called the controlling idea. We have over 200 overnight guests a year. We have 30 overnight guests this month. We'll have 600 people over for dinner. And the, every time somebody comes, I'm we so say, glad I didn't say that. And I'm an that introvert. As, yeah. <laughs> we're literally, we're building a house right now. It's just Betsy and I. We have no kids. We're building a house with 18 beds to house the mission of our marriage, which is to restore people. That's amazing. I don't know what that it is. It's a little tiring. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who's going to restore us? But That's what I want to know. This but you is, see what I'm saying? No, no, There's this a is direction. a huge idea. Right. This is such a big idea because I, because of my personality, I easily get hung up on, but what if it's the wrong thing? What if it's the wrong thing? Everybody I, does. My dad yeah. used to, when I was in high school, he would put me in his office, his home office and say, you need to set some goals. And he would leave me in there with a yellow pad and a pen and say, don't come out till you have some goals because he's a goal setter. This I mean, explains like, everything about Andy Stanley. He has goals and sub goals and, you know, he's yeah. just such a planner. And I would be paralyzed by fear to this point of what if I set the wrong goal? What yeah. if I have the wrong yeah. goal? And I just couldn't set goals. And that has been a, a struggle 
forever until You're just wanting I, to get it right. I wanted to get it right. And I think the point of this conversation is there's something worse than not getting it right. And that's not getting anything. Well, and right is subjective. Well, absolutely. And, and I think it's subjective in the eyes of God. If you actually look at, wait, I want to make sure, I, there is wrong in the <laughs> eyes of God. <laughs> but what I mean by that is I realize in asking the question, what does God want me to do? What does God want me to do? What's God's will for what my What is God's life? will yeah, for my life? Yeah. And I'd ask that question for years and years and years and wanted to get it right, wanted to get it right. And I'd pray and I'd not hear anything. And then I started looking through Scripture and I'm like, wait a second, God does have specific plans for some people at some time, but the rest of the time, he's just, they just got to use common sense. You know, you know what's right and wrong, and you actually have an enormous amount of agency to define what part of this story will look right. like. And, you know, if your donkey talks to you, we're definitely getting specific instructions here. <laughs> if there's a fire that is talking to you, if yeah. you're a virgin and pregnant, that's very specific, right? <laughs> Other than that, I think we use common sense. And I think that terrifies a lot of people because they want to get it right, they want to do it right. Let's say I'm helping my child write a story. Actually, Betsy's baby sister, she's, her parents at 60 adopted a baby. At it's 60. an amazing story. Yeah. Wow. So she's uh, six now, and Gloria and I were sitting on the couch just yesterday, and Betsy would paste a picture into a blank journal, and then Glow, we call her Glow, would narrate to Betsy what that picture is about. You know, so-and-so is walking through the forest, and they found a willow tree and whatever, you know, and mm-hmm. they're writing a story together. You know, what if I were the sort of person to Betsy's little sister who would say, well, no, that's not what I want the story to be about, Glow. It's not a willow tree. It's this kind of tree. And she said, well, I want there to be a dog. No, Glow, there's not going to be a dog in this story. Just here, you, I'm going to dictate to you what you would say Don has a problem. Don is a controlling <laughs> parent or, you know, not a parent, but you know what I mean. Right. And a lot of people view God that way. But what if he's saying, what sort of story do we want to live together and experience and we would ask the question, what are the sort of things that God cares about? Well, he cares about inequality. He cares about poverty. He cares about little children who can't eat. He cares about people getting their feelings hurt. He doesn't like that. He cares about people making stupid decisions with their lives and wrecking them. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, that's what God cares about. What do I care about that? Well, I actually care a lot about little children not being able to eat. Oh, we have some common ground. Let's tell a story about that. That's how I think the process actually works. Wow. And I think leadership actually works that way too where I can go into my staff and say, you know, I had this huge epiphany, and I'm just really learning to be a good leader with my team. I couldn't figure out what we were going to do about an office. We're out of parking spaces. We're out of offices. We're out of everything. I couldn't figure it out. There were many good decisions. We could make an investment. We could buy a building. We could do all this kind of stuff. I just couldn't figure out what to do. So I actually brought the whole staff together, and I said, hey, here's all of our options. What do you guys want to do? Tell me what kind of work environment you want to have. What do you want the building to look like? What do you want this? A year later people would come to me almost choked up and say, that meeting meant the world to me. Because? They got buy-in. They got involvement. I cared what they thought. I wasn't dictating the story or cramming it down their throats. And but, I, was, but I was realized that leadership? so much of I Because think some it, people would say, that's not leadership. That's, you've just... Well, I, you know, even Ken Blanchard would say, the leaders need to come up with a mission statement, some core, but then we need buy-in. We need to actually go and we need to give agency or partial agency. God doesn't give us full control over our stories. Hmm. I didn't decide what year I was born. right? I didn't get to decide that. That right. wasn't or my creative parents, decision yeah. or my parents and all that. But he gives me some. And he gives me buy-in and agency. And I think there's a part of leadership that, you know, and of course it's contextual. If people are doing really bad things, they're going to hurt somebody else. We're going to stop it. And that, you know, that's leadership too. We're going to control that story in some ways. I want to go back to something you said a little bit earlier about the vacuum when there's a vacuum in leadership. We talked about kids or family. If there's not 
a direction, somebody's going to point in a direction and it could be a bad direction. Right. One of the things that I've seen in organizational life, and I bet you have as well, is when the point leader is not leading or setting a direction, there's oftentimes someone back in the organization who, because they are more prone toward leadership and because they have a vision even for the organization, they will begin over time to be perceived as the leader because mm -hmm. they're the only ones leading. And it right. may not be a bad direction. Right. It's just now you have a conflict between no direction and a direction that's being set by someone who doesn't have the authority to set the direction. That's right. And this happens all the time. And one of the challenges for people in my season of life and season of leadership, I'm surrounded by so many capable leaders. I know that the moment I take my foot off the gas or the moment I step back into the parade, yes. game over. And it won't be game over because something bad happens or it's a bad direction. But if I'm not setting the pace and, again, leading, then the leaders behind me, they're going to lead. They're yeah, into they're, the narrative void will step a leader ex every time. Exactly. And it, sometimes it's a bad thing, but sometimes it just creates unnecessary conflict because the leader hasn't you know, continued to lead. Yeah, but there's someone is going to step into that vacuum. And that's a that creates an interesting dynamic in, in an organization for sure. Yeah, I would think that that's tension. I love how all of this, the importance of a leader can't be over expressed here, when you're inviting somebody into a story, when you're defining something that we all want, and you're naming the challenge that we're going to have to overcome, and you're painting a picture of a climactic scene, you know, every year in our organization, we come up with goals, and then we actually have a scoreboard that we're creating this year where every person is represented by a color of a post-it note. So I'm purple, you know, JJ's green, Tim's blue. And you actually look at our goals and what everybody's job is as it relates to that goal, and they get to move a post-it note to the done section, and you have just have this color-coded thing of this beautiful thing that we've actually created. Part of that is to accomplish our goals as an organization. We're trying to grow. Part of that, in my thinking as a leader, is actually to guide people into what's called logotherapy. And it's uh, Viktor Frankl's whole deal that he developed at, to contend with Sigmund Freud. He was a Viennese psychologist. Yeah, you talk about that in the book a little I bit. I do, yeah. yeah. Well, Frankel was in the, the concentration camps, two of them, and developed a therapeutic process to take people through who were depressed. What an amazing place to actually develop that, right, wow. in the concentration camps. Yeah, who's not depressed? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, boy, it was a struggle for him, but it was actually very helpful for some of the people that he was in there with. Thank God he survived. Then he went into the Viennese hospital system, and they had a significant problem with suicides. And he gave them a three-part therapeutic process that you won't believe how simple it is. One is he had suicidal patients identify a project that they could work on that if they didn't work on, somebody would suffer. So in other words, a reason to actually wake up and say, I'm important, not just for myself or somebody do? else. What Why I do, do I need to do it? That's exactly <laughs> yeah. So, you know, they're going to write a book or they're going to compose a symphony or they're going to plant a garden or they're going to whatever. I don't care what it is. I mean, he didn't care. That was what was amazing. He didn't care what it was. Just what is the definitive project that is important for you to get up in the morning? Second, a redemptive perspective on your suffering. And what this actually meant was when something painful happens to you, let's not excuse it or say it's, you know, have an optimistic view of it. It's painful. The Holocaust is painful. But what is a redemptive perspective on this and suffering. they have to create or manufacture or they think just about have it. to use their executive brain to say, okay, this is really a terrible thing. And on the other side of this terrible thing is something that's positive. So, in the worst possible scenario, somebody came to him and said, how can you possibly find a redemptive perspective on what's happening to us in this concentration camp? 
And Viktor Frankl said, well, let's think about it. It's obviously a terrible thing. Uh, we're obviously probably going to die in here. But if you commit suicide, you will rob yourself of an amazing opportunity. And the guy said, what opportunity? <laughs> and he said, if you let them kill us, your death will serve a greater purpose because it will teach the world how evil they are. Oh, my goodness. So even wow. not killing yourself and letting them kill you served a, a redemptive, redemptive purpose. purpose. Oh, and wow. the man's spirit immediately rose because he had a great dignity and purpose in life. That's amazing. It is. That's one reason that, you know, we all have hard childhoods. And I grew up, we grew up so poor. Oh, my gosh. Stood in line for government cheese and all that kind of stuff. I remember going through a self-pity phase in my early 20s of thinking, well, why is life so hard for me, blah, blah, blah. Once I understood what Viktor Frank was talking about, you almost rewrite your entire history. Where you your just entire say, history. Your, your entire history. Where you actually say, well, yeah, my dad split, but that taught me a compassion for young men growing up without dads, which caused me to write this book. And 10,000 of those books were put into prisons. And, oh, my gosh, that was one of the – I remember a day, Andy, because I'd read Viktor Frankl and I understood this, I lost all my money. So I wrote Blue Like Jazz, made hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars, paid off my house, sold that house. I was very smart with the money. Sold that house, put all the money into an investment because I needed an investment that would hold it for six months until I bought a different house. Just, you know, a series of events. I remember a Monday morning waking up and realizing it was gone. Every penny. From blue light jazz. From all of my my savings, you know. After the you, book. You usually get one hit book. You better, yeah. you know, it's like being in the <laughs> NFL. You better, you better put that right. money away. And I did it. And I remember being so incredibly depressed, feeling so stupid, and then thinking about what Viktor Frankl said. And, and I said to myself, this is the best day of your life, and you know it. You know it's the best day of your financial life. You know it is. It didn't make me happy, but I knew it. I knew it. Because? That, because what I will learn from this experience will shape the entire rest of my life, my financial life. Wow. And it did. And it did. That was eight years of savings, and I was very smart with money. What I learned on that morning, the emotional response to that, which was I'm taking back over my career, I'm changing all my management, I'm actually going to form a company and do all that. I'm going to stop being passive in my career. Betsy and I put away every 30 days what I lost that morning today. Wow. Into savings or generosity. Every 30 days. And I knew that morning this is going to be the best thing that ever happened to you. But I didn't feel it for months. And how old were you when that happened? Oh, I mean, I was in my 30s, yeah. in my mid-30s. So if you can actually do that, it's really an antidote for depression. And then also, you need to take people with you. He would say you need a community of people who are close friends who love you unconditionally. Stop trying to project an identity and actually get to know people really well. Those three elements, he calls it logotherapy. A project that you need to work on, a redemptive perspective of your suffering, and close, unconditional relationships who accept you as you are. Those three things he had in the Viennese hospital system when he started taking people through logotherapy, he had zero suicides after that, and they had a massive suicide problem. In my opinion, as a leader, when we're inviting people into story, you're inviting them into logotherapy. Let's work on a project together, and let's right. work on our relationships while we're building it. I don't care what it is. Let's build it, as long as it's ethically okay, yeah. right? But it doesn't have to be the right or the perfect project. The problem is there are 50 million right and perfect <laughs> right. projects, right? So the leader is going to choose one myself, and say, let's go. not our audience. <laughs> and we're going to do that together. And also, it's going to be very hard and we're going to experience setbacks. But every time we do, we're going to circle up. We're going to figure out what we learned from them. You're not just leading people. You're healing them. 
I mean, you're taking them through logotherapy and you're healing them. You know, you're healing the way their brains are connected. We'll be back with Andy Stanley's interview with me in just a moment. If you've been wanting to clarify your message and go through the StoryBrand framework live, that is, if you've read the book, maybe even gone through the online course, and you have material and you're saying, you know, I just want to know that I'm doing this right, we have something for you. Our December live workshop is coming up. It's December 9th through 11th. That's Sunday night, the 9th. We'll have a dessert together, and then we get started on the 10th, and we go all the way through the 11th. And by the time you leave, the deliverables will be a clear message. That is, you will have seven sound bites that you can use in all manner of collateral. You know, we all know we need to make a website, we need to make email blasts, we need to create lead generators. All that's fine, you can learn that anywhere, but what do you say in those websites, on those websites, in those emails, in those lead generators? That's what you're gonna leave with from December 9th through 11th. Then, if you want to be a certified guide, that is, you've been in marketing for a while, and you love the story brand framework, and you want to deliver it for your clients, that is, you wanna be certified in our way of doing marketing, which is the best way of doing marketing on the planet. It's the only way that I would consider going about marketing. If I were a business leader, I would hire a story brand certified guide because they're not going to rip you off and they're going to get you results. Hang out. You attend the regular workshop and then you hang out for another two days. So that's the 12th and the 13th. And we will certify you as a guide and enter you into our directory at clarifyyourmessage.com. Also, if you're looking for a guide, somebody to do your marketing, Go to clarifyyourmessage.com and you'll see all the people that we have already certified. So if you want to clarify your message and you're a business leader, sign up for the workshop December 9th through 11th. And if you want to become a guide, hang out with us two more days and you'll be in our directory too. All that is happening in December. Your next year can literally be completely different and you will be completely prepared before January 1st. That is before you even get into 2019, you're going to be set up to win. Go to storybrand.com and register for either the regular marketing workshop or stick around for an extra couple days and become certified as a guide. Once again, you'll learn more about it at storybrand.com. Hopefully, we'll see you soon. So walk us through that series within the context of story brand. Well, story brand really uses story to help you story clarify narrative. your message. Yeah. yeah. So the narrative would be if leaders saw themselves metaphorically as the director of movies. So you really want to answer three questions for your organization. Where are we going? Give me a compelling vision for the future. What does it look like? What does the future look like? And what's amazing, as you know, is there's so many people who, and this is just shocking to me, they don't have a vision for the future. And they're not even wired to have a vision for the future. They're just not. They're wired to join somebody else's vision. And thank God for them, because <laughs> that vision would never come to pass if it was on right, my shoulders. Right. These are executors. These are administrators. These are those. So what's a compelling vision for the future? Like I said to my wife, you know, my wife is going, where are you taking us? Where's this marriage going? Just go anywhere. Like, where's it going? So a compelling vision for the future. Where are we going? And then why does it matter? So if we don't build North Point in you know, this part of the city or a branch of North Point, um, What's state? these people are going to be yeah. more lonely. They're going to make bad decisions. Their marriages might fall apart. Their kids will not grow up with friends. They won't have an ethical boundaries. They won't have a moral compass. That's re- you know, the stakes are huge. Now, this is, we're planning a church. I'm super in, right? Because the stakes are huge for somebody else. And then what's my role? That's one of the big challenges with our team scoreboard 
is, you know, there are three major projects we're trying to build this year. And I've got to get every color post-it note on every project. Otherwise, I'm saying, you're not important. Wow. You're not important. Yeah, that's, and that's a challenge. Yeah, that's and, it, a take, and the leadership has to sit down and say, how do we get more green post-it notes on this particular project? Or it doesn't have to be on every project, but green post-it notes on that thing. Well, your people are really asking, where are we going? Why does it matter? Why am I important yep. in that? And if we can just walk around answering those three questions, yep. you know. Well, that's so interesting. And I don't think you've heard me talk about this because it wasn't that long ago on one of our leadership podcasts, I kind of gave my version of that. And it was, what are we doing? Why are we doing it? And where do I fit in? No, and yeah. where do I fit in? And, you know, the first two are pretty simple. As the leader, I get to determine those. And then to help people script the way I do it, I have people create a one sentence responsibility statement. In other words, this is specifically where you fit in. And I help them wordsmith that because, you know, some people are better than that at others. In every great organization, everybody should be able to answer that question. What are we doing? Why are we doing it? Where do I fit in? And everybody should be able to answer the first two questions the same way because there's only one what and there's probably a primary why. And then that third part, it's a little bit more challenging, but it's as important. So Yeah. And, you know, framing it as a narrative is huge. You know, we're circling around all the same ideas because mm-hmm. none of us invented this stuff. This is just age-old stuff. I'm curious about what you think about this. A lot of times we say, well, we have a mission statement. And I usually think the mission statement is not worth it very much because it isn't framed as a narrative. Yep. You know, I was meeting with an organization of, you know, let's say architects because I don't want to give away the company or anything. But, you know, we're, <laughs> we're, we're in downtown Nashville. I'm meeting with these architects. The CEO, I'm meeting with just the C-suite. So these are all his leaders. And the CEO says, we have a mission statement. I don't know what their mission statement is. I said, it's probably not serving you very well. Now, we did a 48-hour leadership retreat. We were all there. We came up with our mission statement. It's literally painted right on the other side of this conference room mm-hmm. on the wall. Mm-hmm. And I said, I doubt it. He said, no. And I said, okay, stop talking. And I pointed at one of the other leaders in the C-suite. And I said, what's the mission statement? And he didn't know. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> and I said, but listen, if you frame it as a narrative, you don't have to paint it on the wall. Everybody will know. If you said, and I turned around and you looking at the skyline of downtown Nashville. And I said, if you said something like, urban design causes a constant low level of anxiety in most people. We exist to create architecture that gives people a sense of peace. Well, now there's a reason we exist. It solves a problem. The stakes are high, right? The, and there the is low level anxiety. And there's a mission. But it's not a mission statement. But it's not. We, you know, know. trust we, is the commodity. We, we exchange. Right, right. We create. Blah, 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 blah. What's amazing, you know, I'm talking to the king of this. It's just words. But it, it's amazing how powerful words it, are. Words. Everything Every, that we see yes. has been built on words. Everything. And when you watch any politician or any great leader, oh, it's a fascinating study. When I was writing Building a Story Man, I didn't reference this, but I spent a good three weeks comparing Churchill to Hitler. Yep. And what I was, was about to what bring off Hitler. terrifying to me. I'll let you bring him up. Yeah, <laughs> what was terrifying to me is they were doing the same thing. Yep. Churchill was painting the British as the heroes going after evil, and so was Hitler. He was uniting people, and he was literally, he called them the Christ figures of the world, sacrificing for the sake of a better. One was evil, very, very clearly, and one was not. One was heroic but they were using the same techniques. When you begin to understand how you can just change the fabric of the narrative with just words words, and build buildings and start wars and stop wars and feed children or neglect children, or you realize good people better step up and know how to do this fast. 
when I talk about this, and I have a, a long quote from the Third Reich, Albert Speer, mm-hmm. Adolf Hitler's architect, yep. wrote mm-hmm. a book and his memoirs. It's fascinating. But anyway, when I finished that book, it dawned on me that Hitler actually split the world with a microphone. Mm-hmm. That's all he did was talk. Mm-hmm. He talked the world the whole right. world into war. I mean, it's... He invited them into a dark yes, and evil story. And they followed him. And so, again, for all the communicators or for anybody who aspires to be or for writers, is there anything more powerful than words? I just don't think so. You can shape a person's future, a self-esteem. You think about you can, the, you know, who knows if it's metaphoric or what, but God spoke the world yeah. into existence, yeah. which is In weird. The beginning was the word. Yeah. 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 He spoke, spoke it. it. Yeah. He spoke it. And he gives us the power you know, metaphorically to do something we very, very We speak worlds similar. into existence all the time, yeah, on purpose you know, or yeah. by accident. Every parent knows that. And we frame things. There was a, a young lady, a six-year-old, who, you know, was playing with other kids and was clearly the one who wanted to be in control and blah, 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 blah. And her mom and dad were sort of embarrassed. And I just thought, oh, they are misunderstanding what's happening here. Of course, there's some problems you need to deal with, right? <laughs> and uh, But I said, boy, that's a young leader, isn't it? That's mm-hmm. a young leader. Yep. Boy, she'll shape up into an amazing she leader. She just hasn't found And you can see them just go, what? Yeah. <laughs> Bro, you just changed the narrative. Changed the yeah, whole you just narrative. just flipped it. Wow. To be more accurate. Yep. So let's, let's This isn't a problem. Let's this is a leader. Yeah. Let's, you, let's, you're raising the president. Do you understand what you need to do here? <laughs> or a dictator. Or hopefully a president. <laughs> a, a good president who doesn't yeah, exactly. confuse himself with a dictator. So, <laughs> so to come full circle, so for our leaders that are listening, first of all, you need to get the book and read the book to understand the whole art of the story brand concept. But again, to bring this back down to leadership, it is about identifying the journey we want people to go on with us, not be all freaked out about is it the perfect journey, but at least identify it so people know where they're going, set those expectations, give them a compelling reason why this is the journey we're going to be on together, and then everybody has to find their place in the story. That's right. So if I stop— And then talk for just a minute about how then as the point leader— I can't make the mistake because this is one of the powerful takeaways from your book. I can't make the mistake of confusing my role as leader with my role as hero. It is very right. easy for the point leader to begin thinking they're the hero. Right. And then Which will destroy everything. It destroys everything. So if, if we could close, just talk a little bit about the point leader's role as guide versus hero in this The big paradigm framework. shift in the book from a marketing perspective, but it's a leadership perspective too, is never play the hero in the story. Always play the guide. And the guide is a character in the story that almost always shows up. And the purpose of the guide is to help the hero win the day. So in other words, be Yoda, don't be Luke Skywalker. Be Hamish, don't be Katniss. Be Lionel in the King's Speech, don't be George. There's two reasons you never want to play the hero in the story as a leader. The first is when you play the hero in the story, you remove yourself from your stakeholder's story. So, Andy, if you and I meet at a party, you say, Don, how are you doing? What's going on with you? And I say, oh, you know, I'm trying to grow my company. We're trying to increase our great places to work metric. We've got a fourth quarter revenue goal that we're trying to hit, and, you know, we're trying to land this big account. What's happening in your subconscious is you're saying, I, Andy, am a hero in a story. I woke up this morning. I had a bunch of, you know, coffee maker didn't work. I had to go buy a new coffee maker. And, you know, whatever. <laughs> I'm the hero in the story overcoming conflict. And Don, sounds like, is a hero in a story overcoming conflict. You may be very interested in how my story ends up, but... I'm in a different story. I have now separated myself from your story. Where if you say, Don, how have things been going? You know, it's been going really great. I've actually uh, been working with a bunch of pastors whose churches have exploded, and I'm really helping them figure out how to use the internet to grow it even further or to reach more people. I've yeah. just entered into your story. Right, you just, we just overlapped. Yeah, and yeah. you said, wait a second, this is a guide. 
Yeah. Right? He knows something I, I He knows something I don't know. I, I need that information. And now I'm in your story. I'm involved in your story. There's a second reason you never want to play the hero in the story. They're not the weakest character in the story, but they're usually the second weakest. The victim is the weakest. We think of heroes as strong. You think of the rock at the end of San Andreas or you know something like that, and they're strong. Go back and watch the movie again. It was 90 minutes of weakness, 90 minutes of, I don't know if I can get the Insecurity. job done. Yeah, I'm yeah. not sure. I couldn't do it last time. Yeah. I doubt I can do it again. Full of self-doubt and in desperate need of help. Why would you as a leader want to position yourself as the second weakest character in the story? Mm-hmm. So as soon as you say, we're trying to do this and we're awesome and we're this, what people smell is weakness. So think about in well, political Well, you smell campaigns. weakness and you, as the longer they talk, the less interested That's you right. actually are. You That's find right. yourself listening at them rather than to them. That's exactly And then I it. find myself thinking, they have no idea how uninterested I am in what they are saying. They are so caught up in being the hero. My wife said something, and my wife, she's just never critical. I can't even really make critical comments about anybody around her because she's just so positive. But we did have somebody come to a party at our house once, and I said, what was it about him? And she said, and I just, I laughed so hard. She said, he wrongly assumes his life is interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, growing up with a famous dad, (laughs) I saw it all the time. And then it has repeated. And I sort of feel like I live my life twice because I sort of am my dad in a different generation. And as a kid, I would watch people walk up to my dad and they're like, Dr. Stanley. And then they would start talking and they would talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. And I would sit there as a kid and think, we're not interested. What made you think he wanted to hear your whole life? But they're nervous. I get that. Yeah. But that dynamic happens all the time. So you were going to say something. We'll, wrap well up. and that's really it. So if you're the guide in the story, you're actually the person everybody's looking for. You know, everybody's looking for somebody to help them win. Yep. And that is a God-given survival mechanism. And when I say win, I really mean survive. Right. Thrive. You know, make the most of their life. As leaders, when we position ourselves as a guide, We've suddenly become the person everybody's looking for. And what's amazing to me, you know, if you flash forward to your funeral, and I actually just recently in a little thing wrote what I want people to say about me at my funeral. It's, it's, a, a, great, it's a great exercise. exercise. Really it great sure exercise. Is, yep. If we flash forward to our funeral, you will realize that if you wanted to be respected in life, if you wanted people to pay attention to you, if you wanted people to cry because you're gone, Everything that you thought you were going to get by playing the hero, you'll only get by playing the guy. Wow. Now, there are still, if you talk to my wife, I mostly play the hero. And that, you know, I'm t- <laughs> there's close, intimate relationships where you, you have to go, okay, can I just tell you my story <laughs> yeah, <laughs> real right. quick? And you know, that's an important part of just living. But I think in terms of leadership, I think you, you mostly check that at the door. Yep. And you, you have to. You sacrifice to, that. To be a good leader. Yep. You yeah. sacrifice that. Wow. Well, this has been fantastic. And again, to our audience, you've got to read uh, Building a Story Brand. Once you read it, you're going to want your entire staff or your team to read it. We did. And it was a fabulous day and a fabulous exercise. And we will um, benefit from this for really, I think, years to come. So thanks so much for writing the book. And thanks so much for uh, spending an afternoon with us and being a part of the Andy Stanley Leadership Podcast. One of my favorite conversations. I'm so grateful. Absolutely. Thanks. Deji, one of my favorite things to keep hitting on with people is that good leadership heals others. Yes, yes that it does. Working, you know, you got to spend eight hours a day at some organization. Yep. And if there is a narrative void in that organization, people don't know where we're going, mm-hmm. what their role is, what they're supposed to do. It doesn't just affect morale. It affects their mental health. Yeah. It, good leaders help people become more 
of who they were meant to be. Right. Right. And they transform people into better versions. You had these cards the other day that you were going through. Yeah. That just talked about what areas you need to develop. So, so you actually sit down with our staff. So, sit down with the staff, and there's these cards that basically say, for this job. So, you start kind of outside of the person themselves. For this job itself, what are the qualifications? What are the most important things we need this person to be able to do? And it might be like engagement or decision-making or even integrity. And we kind of put those together. And then I sit there with the person who I'm working with and I say, okay, here's actually the areas that I think you need to grow in. And we do that together. It's not just, I just come at them, but we work on it together and go, here's the areas. And then we develop a plan for them to improve those areas. And so they actually know what is it that is expected of them and how is that then connected to the mission of the organization overall? Because right. the job itself is about the mission of the organization. Right. But how does the role they play impact the overall story of the company and how can they even continue getting better? It reminds me of that. You know, I've only been on set for one movie. You know, we shot mm-hmm. a movie and Steve Taylor was the director of that movie. And he was so great at sort of pulling actors aside and saying, here's what's happening in the story. Yeah. Because you don't shoot those things in order. You no, know, they're all over the place. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I mean, they had to shoot, these poor actors had to shoot a critical, crying, frustrating fight argument scene. Yeah. You know, week one, and hadn't shot any of the stuff leading up to it. Yeah. And so Steve has to pull them aside and say, here's what these characters have gone through. Here's, you know, and then they go emotionally prepared. Yep. I think that's there's a lot of leadership, even in yeah. an organization. We're saying, hey, we're trying to accomplish X in our community. Mm-hmm. Your role is important because of it's always contextualizing their importance in the context of an overall very important narrative. Yeah. And it's healing work when yeah. you when you do it for folks. Especially it, when you bring clarity to it. When yeah. you when you're clear about that, then people don't have to sit and worry. They're not scared that they're not doing the right thing. They're not insecure about their job. Clarity is compassion yeah. <laughs> in leadership. And yeah. so I, Dave Ramsey says that clarity is kindness. Yeah. Being super, super clear. Well, we hope you enjoyed uh, Andy Stanley's interview with <laughs> <Yes>. me <laughs> on this podcast. <laughs> and uh, all jokes aside, you know, the reason we featured it is because it's just such a great, great conversation. Yeah. And he's just so wise. And of course, you, it's rare that you get an opportunity to talk to somebody yeah. uh, like Andy. And of course, I wanted you to hear the entire conversation. If you didn't hear the first conversation about how Andy prepares a speech, go back to the last episode of the Building a Story Brand podcast. And we've got that. And this one, of course, is about leadership. Andy, thank you and your entire organization for letting us borrow you and your wife and your family, for yeah, that matter, yeah. <laughs> for letting us borrow you and have this wonderful conversation. And we were just deeply encouraged. Music from this episode is by Andrew Bell. You can listen to Andrew's latest EP, Dive Deep Hushed, on Spotify or on iTunes. Thanks, as always, for listening to the Building a Story Brand podcast, where we believe if you confuse, you'll lose. Noise is the enemy, and creating a clear message is the best way to grow your business. 